We're in COVID time. The theaters are closed. So, what do you think about watching a little Shakespeare tonight? From the Folger Shakespeare Library, this is Shakespeare Unlimited. I'm Michael Whitmore, the Folger's director. I know there are thousands of us out here who are hungry for a little Shakespeare. It doesn't have to be in the park. It doesn't have to be the RSC or Folger Theater. Just something. Just people saying those words out loud, reminding us what normal felt like. And maybe suggesting it'll be back sometime soon. Robert Miles was one of those people, but he decided to do something about it. Beginning in March, he has curated, directed, staffed, and executive produced a web series called The Show Must Go Online that's working through the entire Shakespeare canon in the order that the plays are believed to have been written. They do it on Zoom, where we all do everything these days. As you'll hear, starting with one random tweet back in March, this project has exploded, drawing in actors, designers, and scholars, including me, I'm proud to say, Shakespeare lovers from all around the world. Robert joined us from his home in Glasgow recently to talk about the project's genesis, its growth, and the lessons it's taught everyone involved. We call this podcast Kindly to Judge Our Play. Robert Miles is interviewed by Barbara Bogave. Robert, I would love to start in the beginning of this. Um, what was the genesis? Was it like that eureka moment, or was it a, a slow burn as coronavirus just took over the world and your life? Um, I think it was probably closer to a eureka moment than a slow burn, but it, it was a weird eureka moment in that I didn't realize I'd had one. My wife and I uh, were having a conversation one evening. I'd just lost a project that was going to take me through April, and at the same time, probably four or five of my friends had uh, reported via social media and things like that that they'd lost work as well. And so it seemed that those of us that were working in kind of mid-scale regional touring theatre and things like that were the canaries in the coal mine and this was only going to get worse. And it was a, it was the most trivial thing in the world. I think I wrote a tweet shortly before we started preparing dinner and sent it out saying, does anybody fancy doing Shakespeare readings online? And thought no more about it for a couple of hours. And then sure enough couple of hours later it had hundreds of likes and retweets and people were proverbially banging on the door and it's worth mentioning that I'm not an influencer I don't really have much of a following or I certainly didn't before this program uh, began <laughs> uh, and and so this was all astonishing and overwhelming to me and so at that point we realized that actually perhaps we'd caught the crest of a wave that was only going to get bigger and we should try and surf it for as long as we could. Wow. And so you just got this flood of responses. And, and who was most excited about the idea? And I imagine actors. Actors, very much so, yes. And I think as people were looking at this precipice that was kind of hurtling towards them, people really wanted something to be able to hold on to. And I think as much as anything else, it might have just been in the phrasing. I think in that first tweet, I said, it'd be great to stay connected and creative. And I think that was just something that really resonated with people and that they really responded to. It was hundreds and hundreds of actors got in touch. So we very quickly had to start 
putting some form of infrastructure together to handle this deluge of interest and take it from an idea and turn it into a project. Hello, good evening and welcome to the first ever The Show Must Go Online, a weekly live stream working through the complete works of Shakespeare in the order they were believed to have been written. I'm Robert Miles, actor, writer, director and creator of The Shakespeare Deck. I want to begin by saying thank you. Now, when you think about theatre companies forming back in normal times before all of this, how does that compare to what your experience was? I mean, did you have to do things differently from what's always done when you when you start up a company? Yeah, I think we did things very differently. And, you know, I haven't started a theatre company before. This is my first crack at that. <laughs> and so I don't necessarily know how other people do it. But the companies that I've been involved in up until now have certainly been uh, almost always uh, friends putting things together. Um, and with this, we almost leaned too hard in the other direction. We kind of said, well, actually, we're really interested to meet people that we've never met b- before, and we've never worked with before. And so what we did was uh, get in touch with some friends of ours. One is in- heavily involved in mentoring schemes within universities, and the other one is a data scientist. And between them, they helped us design forms that could be inclusive to uh, people with a whole range of different needs and representations because there are so there are ways that you can so easily exclude people without even realizing that you're doing it just from how you design forms which is not something that I necessarily knew but something that we very quickly came to understand um so very quickly within I think six days of the original tweet going out we had our first show on the air with a cast from multiple countries and it's only kind of grown from there really cease to persuade my loving proteus Home-keeping youth have ever homely wits. Were not affection chains thy tender days to the sweet glances of thy honored love? I rather would entreat thy company to see the wonders of the world abroad. When you say you sent this out to anyone who loves Shakespeare, do you mean that you have amateurs or even first-time actors among your... Among your cast Oh, members. absolutely, yeah. Yeah, 100%. We believe that Shakespeare is for everyone, and that means not only should everyone be able to watch it, but everyone should be able to participate in it as well and to be able to say it out loud. And similarly, we've had academics who study it rather than performing it, who actually want to be able to say the words uh, with meaning and with feeling, if you like, for the first time. And similarly, we've had actors that have never done Shakespeare before, and we've had other people that aren't actors that have never done Shakespeare before on the show, so that everybody gets the opportunity to experience what it's like to be in a Shakespeare production in 2020. Stand, sir, and show us what you have about thee. If not, we'll make you sit and rival you. Sir, we are undone. These are the villains that all the travelers do fear so much. My friends, that's not so, sir. We are your enemies. Peace will hear him. I, by my beard, will we, cause he is a pot ropper man. Wow, so much fun. Do people get paid? Uh, People don't get paid, sadly, no. Uh, What very quickly got established, however, was an opt-in hardship fund that is funded via Patreon. So all of our viewers, and we have viewers from over 60 countries, get to uh, donate as little or as much as they want to per month. And then we ask actors to opt in to receive their share. And then everyone that opts in gets one share per show that they were involved in. Okay, so those are the nuts and bolts. Um, And Mm. you got this amazing response from actors and then other people people flooding in who want to take part in this. Could you now talk about the look of your online production? It's on Zoom. 
So if you could describe what, you know, for people who haven't seen it yet, who are listening to this, what do you see of a Shakespeare play on Zoom? And how did you decide to present it in this way? I mean, whether it was, you know, immediately apparent that this would be a Zoom theater. So first, first describe it for us, please. Enter Flavius, Morellus, and certain commoners over the stage. Caesar! 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 Hence! Home, you idle creatures! Get you home! Is this a holiday? We live stream these shows on YouTube via Zoom, and Zoom is a teleconferencing platform for those who are maybe not familiar. I don't imagine there's many people in the world now that haven't heard of it, but just in case. I don't know uh, where we'd we... find that person, but yeah. <laughs> exactly that. You never know, they may be listening. If they are, this is for you. But uh, no, they have um, they have several different options, and, and those can be uh, used in different ways, but we use what's called gallery view, so that then everybody that is in a scene, you can see them all all at once and they're all looking into the camera and we treat the camera uh, on people's laptops as the eye line between the person that's speaking the person that's being spoken to and that's kind of how we do it really and we take inspiration from uh, there's a British TV show called Peep Show where the cameras are kind of the actors eyes if that makes sense and, and the cuts are seeing one person from the other person's point of view and then reversing that uh, and so we use that as our inspiration so what it does is put the audience right in the middle of the conversation that's being had. Brutus, bait me not. I'll not endure it. Hey, you forget yourself to hedge me in. I am a soldier. I, older in practice, abler than yourself to make conditions. Oh, do you are not, Cassius. I am. I say you are not. Urge me no more. I shall forget myself. Yes, I'm so glad I asked you to describe it because that is exactly right and you did it so well. You feel right in the middle of this production. Um, and also what I noticed right away, I watched the, the time and your time and which was on um, when I was looking last week and it seemed as if all of the actors had brought their own props and their own uh, costuming ideas. And, and, and please, I mean this in the best possible way. It reminded me a little bit of when my children would put on shows in the neighborhood. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, yes. And and that's something that we actually take deep pride in. There's a, a, a movie uh, called Be Kind Rewind by Michelle Gondry where um, there's Love a thing called movie. Sweeding. Uh-huh. Yeah, um, and Sweeding is this idea where you, you have no resources but you try and recreate your favourite films. And in a way, that's what we're having to do because uh, everybody is, you know, spanning the globe uh, thousands of miles away from each other. And because we're doing this for free, we certainly don't want people spending loads of money on elaborate costumes Uh, we pride ourselves on our resourcefulness and ingenuity and it does bring out this really childlike sense of play which I think actually in in times like these where uh, you know things are quite dark and and quite intense sometimes a little bit of that silliness goes a long way with the suspension of disbelief you know there are other zoom theatre outfits that rely really heavily on virtual backgrounds we don't do that because we believe that Shakespeare is a shared light experience it is meant to be experienced in the same environment that the audience is in and that is their living room so we show you the actors in their living room because they are in lockdown exactly the same as you are Uh, and we hope that that helps to create a sense of relationship but uh, our master of props Emily Ingram uh, and myself and our production team we have weekly uh, research and development calls 
where we look at, okay, so we're doing a Roman play this week. How can we do togas out of bedsheets? And how can we create um, Roman armor out of cardboard and tinfoil and things of that nature? And then Emily goes away and produces tutorials that allow the actors to create things from homemade materials that nevertheless develop the sense of a shared world. It's this wonderful feeling of wonder and and delight yeah you you really get that and and kind of can do <laughs> can do Moxie, i believe you yes. americans sometimes refer to it as yes absolutely exactly yeah. and that is both the wonderful thing about zoom and and a drawback it could be very distracting and very frustrating with those awful pauses and delays which i just don't here on yours, uh, uh, on your production at all. How do you get around that? First of all, thank you so much for that. You don't know how much that means. That is a big compliment because it's something (laughs) that we really, really strive to overcome. Zoom does have momentary lag and it is the bane of our existence (laughs) when trying to produce urgent feeling theatre because the first and last note that I give at the start and end of the process right before we go live is don't waste the audience's time with meaningless dead space. And Unfortunately, Zoom wants you to do that and begs you to do that and craves for you to do that because you are waiting for kind of half a second to a second, depending on where in the world you are, for that line to come through for you to respond to. So what we really rigorously train our actors to do in the limited time that we have is to anticipate the last word of the line and to actually start speaking while the other person is enunciating their last word. And by doing so, you collapse that Zoom created gap in between the dialogue and create the illusion of flow for the audience. Wait a um, second. So it's actually you... a bit of a magic trick. Do you mean you're doing this live? I was assuming you edited this. Oh, absolutely not. No, no. Uh, and there's, believe me, if you watch closely and you see all the shows, you'll see the times where <laughs> the, we would have edited it if we could. Um, that yeah, is no, amazing, it's... though, if you're doing it live. I mean, really. Oh, yeah, 100% live. And for me, that's such an important factor in it as well because I've, I've seen other people using either zoom or mobile phones and editing them together in post but it just doesn't give you the same feel and it's quite an intangible thing live performance in terms of what the difference between that is and something that's pre-recorded but what I think you really get is the actor's knowledge that they are live and that gives you the sharpening effect of adrenaline which I just think always kind of rocket fuels the emotional stakes and the tension and the reactions and all that kind of thing in a way that really can't be simulated so yeah no it is it's very important to us that we do everything that we do live oh tell me Friar tell me in what vile part of this anatomy does my name lodge? Tell me that I may sack this hateful mansion! Hold thy desperate hand! Art thou a man? Thy form cries out, thou art! Thy tears are womanish! The wild acts denote thee the reasonable fury of a beast! Hast thou slain Tybalt? Wilt thou slay thyself? And slay thy lady too that lives in thee! By doing damned hate upon thyself. What rouse thee, man? My Juliet is alive. There art thou happy. Tybalt would kill thee, but thou slewst. Tybalt, there art thou happy. 
The law that threatened death becomes thy friend and turns into exile. There art thou happy? Because you're trapped in the middle of the conversation, I'm sure everyone's had that experience of being at a family dinner gathering while two people have an argument and how cringeworthy and, and awkward and tense it makes you. Well, when you have two Shakespearean characters going at each other hell for leather and you feel trapped in the middle, um, it's a really quite extraordinary, visceral experience. Good father, I beseech you on my knees. Hear me with patience, but to speak a word. No, hang thee, young baggage, disobedient wretch. I tell thee what, get thee to church a Thursday or never after look me in the face. Speak not, reply not, do not answer me. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is you have pre-show lectures. Thank you, Rob, for that introduction and for creating this monumental online theater space. And thank the cast for the work you're doing today. And also the president. It really came from a desire to replicate, I suppose, the program that you would have in a regular theatrical show, where if you were interested, you would be able to take a deeper dive into the play, its plot, its themes, and so on, before it actually gets started. Shakespeare calls attention to the white masculine crisis that is the crux of what is rotten in the state of Denmark. Thinking about rot, visualizing the literal process of something decomposing, actually led me to conclude that in Hamlet the play, I think all that stuff just gives people little hooks and little anchors that if they're starting to feel like they're getting a little bit in the deep end with some of the language, they can hold on to those things and go, oh yeah, that's that thing that was mentioned, I can see that. And just that little bit of recognition, I think, goes a long way. So you're assuming that your audience members, some of them are coming to a Shakespeare performance, but they don't really know Shakespeare. Is that the case? Well, it's not necessarily something that we've had explicitly in feedback, but it's always good practice for me to start everything as if people are starting from scratch. And every show that we create, the first thing that we strive for more than anything else is clarity in the text, because I think the, the biggest barrier to popular adoption of Shakespeare is that when verse isn't delivered with clarity as the focus, it can leave the audience behind. Um, the other thing that really needs to be said is, of course, uh, when we were starting this, we were putting things together very much on the fly. And I was very lucky to be contacted by Ben Crystal, who's an amazing luminary in the Shakespeare world. And just because he showed an interest in it, I, I wanted to get him involved. And I said, you know, what do you think would be a, a good way, a positive way for you to be involved in this first show? And Ben said, well, why don't I give an introduction? And because it's Ben Crystal, I wasn't going to look a gift horse in the mouth. And I was like, certainly, Ben, let's get you in to do an introduction. And he's since curated all of our introductory speakers as well, which is fantastic. Oh, that's how you got people like Simon Russell Beale. I opened up my computer and went to watch your first, you know, to, to watch my first um, performance of, of yours. And there Simon Russell Beale was, one of the most famous Shakespearean actors in, in England. And I just almost fell out of my chair. Me too. <laughs> I <laughs> I <bet. was> that. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it was, uh, it was an extraordinary honor uh, to be able to get Simon on the show. And yes, uh, Ben has been curating the introductions since the beginning. And, you know, he's really proactively tried to respond to the times that we're living in as well. So we started out by trying to centre younger uh, female presenting academics. And then, of course, the Black Lives Matter movement exploded onto the scene once again, and rightfully so. And so we wanted to try and centre as many academics and actors and performers of colour as well, which is something that we're also trying to do with the productions. Um, we've just finished our all-female and non-binary version of Macbeth, and we're about to enter our all-global majority production of Antony and Cleopatra. Really interesting, though 
and I and I'm just thinking how much freedom you have when you put on this kind of homegrown production to go down those alleyways. Absolutely, and to have the world as your casting pool, I think, mm. is something that is a privilege that very few directors have ever had and will ever have again in quite the same way. Um, you know, we're going to have actors. Um, Beth last week, our witches were on three different continents, so their witches circle was literally <laughs> the world, um, and that's not something that you can say in any other medium so it it is really uh, a privilege to be able to work with people from so many different backgrounds so many different countries and bringing so many different perspectives to the table when we create the work and we really want our actors to be able to take ownership and to have agency over what it is that they're doing but also to be able to be a part of a production that they feel speaks the language that they want to speak and says the things that they want to say to the world at this singularly challenging time when it feels like certain things need to be said. Well, maybe you've already answered this in your last answer, but I'm curious what you've learned about the plays, whether you've there have been any surprises for you personally or confirmations or, or, or challenges that stand out about Shakespeare as you've worked through the, the canon and worked through it in this unique way and in this time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, where to begin? I mean, certainly surprises. I think Henry VI Part Two was probably the first play that just absolutely blindsided me. Like, I had no idea what was coming when we started reading that, because... I will say as well, a lot of these plays, or certainly a fair proportion of these plays, I am coming to for the first time. Uh, I'm not someone that has an encyclopedic knowledge of these plays, but this process is is allowing me to an extent to develop one and that and that's been incredible and you know an unbelievable challenge and a strain a mental strain uh, as my brain tries to absorb these hundreds of thousands of words of verse so um, you didn't know what a kind of blockbuster cecil b demille production henry the sixth part two is i mean it has everything right ghosts it has absolutely everything yeah pirates it's, it's amazing and, yeah Wit- yeah, witchcraft, pirates, <laughs> romance, beheadings, betrayals, intrigue. It's like Game of Thrones is probably the nearest <laughs> thing that you could kind of liken it to in modern production terms. Yeah, it's an absolute smash and a variety show. Um, you know, there's there's a miracle in there at one point as well, which turns out to be a fraud. And then the guy who did the fake miracle gets whipped and chased off in the middle of an argument that's <laughs> taking place while they have falcons out and they're doing falconry. And it's like, how can you have these two completely novel events happening simultaneously as comic relief in the middle of a wider story that, as you've already said, has pirates in it chopping people's heads off. Now I'm really curious how you're all doing this in people's living rooms. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely, yes. Yeah, 100%. And and that's been one of the great joys, actually, is is when Shakespeare throws a gauntlet down to us and we go, all right, Shakespeare, I see what you're trying to go for here. How do we do this with no money and no resources on a webcam at home? <laughs> uh, and actually, it's, it's been absolutely fascinating to see the ways that we've been able to do those things. And, you know, we've had great creative contributors. You know, Enrique Ortuño and Yarrick Dor, our movement and fight directors on quite a number of the shows, have enabled us to be able to chop off Lavinia's hands and tongue live and we've been able to drown Clarence in the Malmsey butt, for instance. Um, Have you done things like uh, tricks that were used in Shakespearean times, a a red handkerchief unfurled as blood? Oh, I see what you mean, yes. Uh, We're actually yet to debut the red handkerchief. We've been keeping it up our sleeve for when we run out of any other ideas. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, but we've actually been using a combination of readily available blood recipes. I think we have about eight different blood recipes, depending on what the wound is and whether it needs to be machine washable or not. Because, of course, our actors are wearing their own clothes most of the time. This is so, we don't so want Shakespearean. I mean, these were costumes were so expensive back then, and you didn't want to get the expen- yeah. most expensive one all bloodied up. So they had to figure Absolutely. out. Absolutely. I mean, that's that's yeah. why in Macbeth it's always the bloody hands because they didn't want to right. have to get the blood anywhere else yeah absolutely so in many ways inadvertently or deliberately kind of treading parallel paths to those that Shakespeare was taking in his own time but also encountering difficulties that maybe Shakespeare wouldn't have experienced so for instance our Macbeth had two bloody hands how do they scroll the script so uh, yeah definitely some <laughs> unique challenges involved in doing things this way uh, it's just remarkable how you describe that that this project just had a life or has a life of its own ta- has taken on a life of its own i guess my question is what's most surprised you about how it's evolved i think what's most surprised me has been the cumulative effect i suppose because when we very first began Uh, We were doing Two Gentlemen of Verona, which is a very simple play and relatively easy to stage. But there are still devices from that that we use to this day because we had to figure out how to pass a letter from one screen to another. And so we devised that system where you almost pass it in forced perspective through the side of the camera and then it gets shoved through the side of the other person's camera and with the right timing it creates the illusion that this thing is being passed fluidly from one person to another. And once we got into that, it became, well, okay, so how else can we evolve this technique? So then suddenly in Henry VI Part I, we had the man who was being kissed by Margaret painted his nails red so that they would look like her hands and stroked his own face as he was being kissed. Um, (laughs) And so things like that have just kind of gone on this incredible role. And then the next thing that came in was camera work. And it was like, well, okay, we need to show how people can be on castle walls. So we're like, well, if you stand above your camera and have your camera looking up at you, it will make you look really tall as if you're on a wall. And if you put a bit of cardboard in front of you and the camera, that can look like the top of the wall. But then by the time we got to Midsummer Night's Dream we had the actors running around with their laptops in their hand in their respective bedrooms and we had people getting dragged out from underneath their mattresses where they were hiding by another character um, (laughs) who was on their mattress and so by them both being on their bed at the same time we crushed this gap of literally thousands of miles because one was in London and one was in Toronto and made it seem like they were occupying the same space Um, and so really it's a testament to the individual ingenuity of the actors and also the cumulative ingenuity of our creative team who when we've seen it done and we're familiar with it and we're comfortable with it and we think how can we where can we take this next and then we say to the actors this is what other actors have done in this medium before how do you want to use it how do you want to take ownership of it and there are still actors coming to us with new ideas and new things to try that we haven't necessarily thought of yet so again it's it's creating a sandbox really that allows people to play within it 
um, and the individual imaginations of the more than 450 different actors that we've had involved in the project since we got started has meant that there's this constant flow of creativity. And while we, as a production team, might be getting pretty exhausted at this point, it's so hard. Um, the actors come into it fresh and they're so excited and enthusiastic. And, you know, that puts fresh wind in our sails to keep going and say, oh, wow, actually, yeah, there is a great way for us to take opportunity of that. And if we take this little bit from this show and this little bit from this show and maybe we put them together in this way that's going to be amazing it's always a surprise to us because you know we're, we're about to after after we finish this interview we're going to go into our r&d call for anthony and cleopatra with no idea how we're going to do the play and in four days time you'll be watching it <laughs> so uh, you'll find out how we uh, how we got on with it then I absolutely cannot wait. I, before I let you go, I have to ask you, so how did your actor solve the problem with the the bloody Macbeth hands? So what they did was employ the help of a glamorous assistant who actually scrolled their text for them while they were... <laughs> keeping their hands free to act so they managed to get in a key grip if you like or exactly a, or a, a, a page turn, a page turner if you're in an orchestra yeah. that's what i was picturing. absolutely yes that's a great example yeah exactly <laughs> that an orchestral page turner was deployed the first time um rob thank you so much for the production and for talking today it was really fun and and really uh, just a pleasure thanks for taking the time oh thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute delight to speak to you and I just I love the work that the Folger does. I love the commitment that you have through this podcast to being able to tell people about all the exciting Shakespeare that's going on out there. So uh, it's been an amazing experience just to come on here and, and say hello and be a part of it. Well, thank you for that. And take care of yourself. You too. Thank you so much. Robert Miles is an actor and performer in Glasgow, Scotland. Since March 2020, he's presented weekly performed readings of Shakespeare's plays under the title... The show must go online. He was interviewed by Barbara Bogave. New Show Must Go Online productions happen every Wednesday at 7 p.m. British Standard Time. To find out more, to contribute, and to watch all their past performances, go to robmiles.co.uk slash the show must go online. One word. Our podcast, Kindly to Judge Our Play, was produced by Richard Paul. Garland Scott is the associate producer. It was edited by Gail Kern Pastor. Ben Lauer is the web producer. We had technical help from Andrew Feliciano and Paul Luke at Voice Tracks West in Studio City, California. As always, please rate and review Shakespeare Unlimited in the Apple Podcast Store. That's the best way to let people know what we're doing here. Shakespeare Unlimited comes to you from the Folger Shakespeare Library. Home to the world's largest Shakespeare collection, the Folger is dedicated to advancing knowledge in the arts. You can find more about the Folger at our website, folger.edu. Thanks for listening. For the Folger Shakespeare Library, I'm Folger Director Michael Whitmore. <laughs>